All right, well, open your Bibles, please, to the letter of Colossians. Letter of Colossians, we're in chapter 3, and this morning I'll be reading verses 5 through 8. Colossians 3, 5 through 8. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. We've come to chapter 3 of this letter of uh, Colossians, and uh, chapter 3 is the responsibilities of the Christian life. In fact, in many of the letters that Paul wrote, he gets to a part like this, and about at this point um, in the letter where he traces out what, what is the Christian life? What is it like? What are the responsibilities of the Christian life? What do Christians not do? What do Christians do? What characterizes a, a Christian increasingly? And so he gives the commands, the responsibilities of the Christian life. And uh, so this portion of uh, Colossians fits well with our emphasis during this school year on discipleship, which is simply growing in these responsibilities and helping others to grow as well. The Lord told um, his disciples uh, at the very beginning, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That is grow, follow me and help others to grow as well. And so there you have the disciples course, uh, the whole coming full circle to follow Christ and uh, to, to um, become fishers of men, to help others to follow Christ in, uh, in the same way. So the responsibilities of uh, the Christian life, last time we had five activities to put to death. If you want to be a Christian, you want to embrace the responsibilities of a Christian, you have to put these five activities to death. Uh, and they're in verse five, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. And this time we've got five more to put off. That, that was put to death. Those These five, it says put off, and I think that means something quite uh, similar. But here's the next group of five activities you're to put off. Anger, in verse eight, wrath, Malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Um, the first list of five um, are sins motivated by lust. Sexual lust seems to be the direction of uh, those. The uh, group of five that we're going to look at um, this morning and seek to put these off are sins motivated by anger. Sins motivated by anger. So the first would be um, sins related to impurity. And the second list of five, that's what we're doing um, this morning, is interpersonal um, sins. And so this is your responsibility, is to put these things to death, to put off uh, these things. These two groups of uh, five activities, they seem to go together um, and even to kind of trace out a whole of the old life that you're seeking to put off. It seems to be kind of traced out, at least in lines, by these sins that have to do with lust on the one hand and anger on uh, the other hand. Uh, there's a couple ways in which you can you can show that. Well, there are two groups of five. It, it uh, indicates it's kind of a, a set. The first group moves from outward sins to inward. 
So sexual immorality would be outward, and then it moves to what motivates it, impurity, passion, evil desire, and finally greed, uh, which amounts to idolatry. It's a problem with God, actually. Um, and then the uh, second list of five seems to move in the opposite direction. Now, the first one from outward to inward, and this one from inward to outward. And so it kind of gives kind of a whole. It starts with the anger within, then wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And so it gives kind of the idea of uh, a whole. It says when it gives the second list of five, it uses the word also. You know, it's connected to the first group. Um, and then it says put them all aside indicating a, a kind of uh, completion. So these five more sins that we're adding to the five sins that we talked about uh, last time present kind of a whole. Different people struggle with different sins at different times, but these 10 sins together seem to trace out your old life, the old you from pole to pole, from sea to shining sea. It seems to cover uh, the whole thing. Uh, so to speak. And it's a life that's all about you. It's a life that's all about you. That's what these 10 sins really uh, trace out. It's a life that's all about what does or doesn't make you angry or what does or doesn't satisfy your desires. It's a life where you are at the center of this life. It, it traces out a life that is utterly selfish, a life that is utterly self-oriented. Uh, and you're supposed to get rid of all of these, not some of them, not most of them, it doesn't say, but to get rid of all of them. And so um, the language that's used is absolute. Uh, put them off like a garment that you're throwing away. You're not going to wear it anymore. It doesn't say, uh, make sure it fits on you loosely. Uh, no, it says put it off uh, and put to death, put to death. It doesn't say wound it. It says uh, be, be, uh, be bold, be absolute, make no compromise with these things, uh, put to death. So how can you do that? Put off these things, put to death these things and do it to all of them when any one of them is actually bigger than you are, is actually stronger than you are. It's something that you can't uh, get out of. And the answer, of course, is it takes Christ himself to remove it. And so because of that, before Paul gets to these commands to put these things to death, uh, put them off, he uh, gives two previous commands and then and puts a therefore after these and that is to seek things above to set your mind on things above where christ is seated at the right hand uh, of god and your life is hidden with christ in god and so you're to trust in christ by faith and in so doing then put off uh, these things so uh, let me encourage you to do that, to seek things above, to, be, to make that your constant focus, to be setting your mind and, and that your life is hidden with Christ uh, above. And so in light of that, let me ask you this question and ask you to consider it with the utmost seriousness because it's a very important question. Have you really grasped God's love for you in Christ? Have you really grasped his love for you in Christ? Have you grasped the forgiveness that's born out of that love uh, for you that's in Christ, that's been accomplished for you in Christ. Have you grasped it by faith? Have you made it yours? Is, the, is your mind dwelling on your life hidden with him uh, in Christ? Are you resting in it? Because uh, the word therefore and then to put off all these things, very actively to put off these things, is only for that person, is only for the Christian who's resting in Christ by faith. 
Two times in Jesus' life on earth, he heard a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It was the voice of the father. It was once at his uh, baptism um, uh, and once on the Mount of uh, Transfiguration. If you're trusting in Christ because you're conscious that you're a sinner before God and you need you need him. And it's only a, a sinner, one who's conscious of his sins, who's going to even bother to trust uh, in Christ. Then this is what God says about you. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. The same thing that he said about Christ and for the same reason. That is not because of something about you that makes you so lovable, but because of Christ. Because it's totally fitting for his love to be lavished upon Christ is why it's fitting for him, for that same love to be given freely to you and extended to the undeserving, which is how it's offered in the gospel uh, freely. I say that, but because Paul says it, he takes the trouble to say it at the beginning of uh, this chapter before he gets to the put off and the put to death. But I say it also because it's only this kind of love that's only found in Christ that has the power to truly turn you inside out. So and what, I, what I mean by that is to totally change the orientation of your life. So that instead of your life being oriented to yourself and characterized by these 10 different things and more, these 10 different things, just trace out a totally self-oriented life. Um, it's only the love of Christ that has the power to turn you out so that your focus is not you, yourself, your needs, your desires, a life totally saturated in uh, selfishness, a life totally dishonoring to God because it's totally different from God. God isn't like that. God isn't totally oriented on himself. In fact, he's triune and the, the character of God, each of the persons of the Trinity is self-giving uh, love. So that's a, an attitude that totally dishonors God because it's totally different from God. It's totally opposite from God. But it's to change the orientation of your life to being all about you and yourself to them being all about others and uh, their needs. Uh, a life characterized not by selfishness, but by love. And that's a, an attitude, that's an orientation of your life that honors God because it's just like him. It's the same. God is love. He isn't uh, the selfishness that characterizes these things, but God is love. And so when your life is transformed by Christ, it's a totally opposite uh, orientation to uh, the old life. It's a life that turns your orientation inside out from being oriented to you to being oriented towards others. If you're a believer in Christ, if you've ever put your trust in Christ, then that's what God is in the process of doing with you. Now, is that transformation? That process, that's why, that's why you're here on earth is for that, uh, uh, process to be accomplished. And in fact, it is accomplished or the Bible speaks of it as accomplished because as surely as the morning's first rays of the sun's announce the day, uh, coming and once, once it's set in motion, it, it has to be, uh, completed. This transformation is you, in you is irreversibly set in motion. And so the Bible often speaks of it as already being accomplished, even though it's uh, actually already, it's uh, underway and being worked out. And even in this uh, passage, uh, sometimes the change is spoken of, in fact, usually the change is spoken of as already accomplished, like verse 9 and 10 says, you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self 
who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And it, it states it as a done deal. You've laid aside that old self and you've put on a new self. It's in the process of happening, but uh, it's um, it's it's been accomplished. It's been um, secured uh, for you. And so for the believer in this process that you're being transformed, there are some defeats along the way, some partial victories, some setbacks. Sometimes uh, progress feels halting and awkward. Always it feels like hard work because that's uh, what this transformation is. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform, and the way that this transformation is worked out uh, in each one of us is uh, that sort of uh, mysterious way that's uh, sometimes set back. Uh, but if you stay with it, if you keep seeking things above, if you keep setting your mind above, you keep putting off the old nature behaviors, keep putting on, you will be completely transformed one way. And I say, uh, if you stay with it, and I, I mean that, but I also mean if Christ stays with you, because the good shepherd, when you go astray, he has a way of bringing you uh, back. He has a way of finding a way of uh, bringing you back. Your life is hidden in Christ with him. It means it's hidden to the eyes of sight. It's, it's yours by faith. It also means it's secure with uh, Christ. And so Christ stays with you um, as well. And it's in this Transformation this is the last thing I'll say before we get to uh, the verses just by way of introduction. But it's in this transformation that I'm talking about, about being turned inside out, a totally different ori- orientation. It's in this transformation that your true character is found, that your true character is found. And that's the opposite of what you'll hear in the world, where they tend to think of your true personality, which is something really important in the world, but they, they think of it as the sum total of your likes and dislikes. You know, you add all those up in the aggregate and that's you. You know, that's your unique uh, personality. And if you think that way, you find yourself pigeonholed into a very small, lonely, sad world that's populated by people that are just like you. And they're increasingly hard to find. Um, that's not where your personality is found. Your true personality is found in the totally unique way in which this transformation is accomplished in you. And it's not accomplished in the same way um, in each person of being oriented to yourself. That That is a lot alike. To being oriented towards others. And there's a, there's a million different ways in which a person is oriented towards others. There's one that's uniquely yours. And that's the way in which the Lord is uh, transforming you. And that's the way in which your true personality is found. It's in Christ. It's sin that stifles your true personality. It's Christ that uh, reveals it. So because of that, the Christian life is a great and joyful adventure that we're to have together with uh, one another as this transformation is uh, accomplished. So um, this is the uh, transformation involves faith. It involves thinking of Christ. It involves thinking of him being saturated by the gospel. That's really the thing that's going to turn you outward uh, towards Christ. And then the nitty gritty down to earth of putting off and putting on these behaviors that you put them off and they try to keep coming back. And so it involves work, um, as well. It involves effort. It involves diligence, staying with it, um, encountering setbacks and, uh, keeping on. So, um, and that's the part we are now where he talk, Paul talks about putting off these, um, it's, it's specific. It's not just general, um, or an overview, but it's specific, each one of these. And I want to try to take the time to go through these um, one by one. We finished verse five uh, last time. 
And uh, in verse 6, Paul gives uh, a motivation for putting these things to death. And we need motivation for putting these things to death because it's hard. It's difficult to put these things to death. So uh, Paul says, and we're just picking up here in verse 6, for it is because of these things, the things that he's just mentioned, the things that you're to put off, impurity, passion, evil desire, so on, because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. There's coming a day when the wrath of God, which is being stored up for sins, is going to be poured out. It's going to be poured out upon sinners. It's going to be poured out on people whose lives are totally caught up in these sins. And that's what makes it unfitting for a Christian, for his life to be characterized by these sorts of uh, things. And so Paul makes a reminder of that um, stark uh, reality. A Christian believes in the wrath of God. A Christian even announces the wrath of God. That's part of our testimony. And uh, I will add to that, a Christian not only believes in the wrath of God as a fact and tells people how to avoid it. That's part of our message. When we tell people about Christ, tell them about his love. You can start there even. But uh, there's there's wrath as well that's part of our uh, testimony of Christ. But the, a Christian not only believes the wrath of God as a fact, tells people how to avoid it, but a Christian, I think it's important, also agrees with the wrath of God agrees that it is just. And, and I, I think that when you think about it, try to comprehend uh, the wrath of God for sins, the eternal wrath of God, your mind really can't even take it in. So I, I don't know that a Christian should be reveling in it or something like that. There's, that's, uh, it's, it, it can hardly be taken in. Uh, but a Christian agrees that the wrath of God is just. And I, that ought to be part of your testimony too when you share the gospel with someone. His wrath is coming and actually, it's deserved. Actually, it's deserved. God, God isn't unjust. He doesn't give people more than their sins uh, deserves. He gives justice. He gives exactly as sins uh, deserved. And you'll, you'll never be able to even take that in and agree with it until you begin to grasp the fathomlessness of God's love. When you know him that way, now the depth of the crime of rejecting that God a God who has that at his character. Now you begin to have an inkling of it so that you can say, I actually agree with uh, the wrath of God. But that ought to um, also motivate us to not be caught up in the things that actually deserve that kind of wrath, deserve an eternity of wrath. And so he, Paul is uh, reminding Christians, it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of uh, disobedience. It's a uh, motivation to put these things off. Verse 6, he continues, it's another uh, motivation. In them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside, and he's going to name them. But he reminds the the believers uh, and us as well that we once walked in these sins and lived in them. And it was all we knew, basically, is the sins that he's telling us and the behaviors that he's telling us uh, to put off uh, now. Before you knew Christ, these sins, they're mentioned here, impurity, immorality, passion, evil desire. Uh, he's going to get on to the sins of anger. All these things that are totally oriented towards yourself. You, you may not have been a, a sinner in each and every one of these ways, but these and things like them were all that you knew. It's all the behaviors of the old uh, per person. So, and that's why they tend to cling on 
even to uh, the Christian. But uh, he's he's telling the Christians they've made a decisive break. In them, you also once walked when you were living in them, but now time has changed. And now it's time to put these things uh, off. The old self knows these things and only knows these things. I was reminded of a, a story of a old fish who swims by two young fish and says, how's the water? And they don't know what to say. And then after he leaves, the one fish says to the other, what's water? Because they don't even know they're in it. It's just, it's just, it's just, they don't know anything different uh, from this. And that's kind of the way in which she describes the way the old self used to walk in these sins. In them, you also once walked when you were living in them. You were living, breathing. You didn't even know life could be different from these things. Maybe just turning them up and down on a dial, uh, but not uh, getting rid of uh, these things. But now, but now, now that you've put on the new self, now that new things have come, old things have passed away and all things have become new. But now, because of this change, you also put them all aside. Be relentless in putting all of these things, not just some of them, uh, aside. Uh, put all of them. Okay, and the first one, the first one. Uh, ang- anger. Anger is my translation. Really, it's the um, probably a better translation would be wrath. That's the way it's usually put um, in Scripture. And uh, this is the first one, and it's kind of the root. So I'll spend a little more time with uh, this one than the others. It's the root of all the others in this list. They all kind of blend into each other, and they come from this one, which is wrath. Uh, the same word is used for the wrath of God in verse 6, where he was giving a reason why these things are not fitting because the wrath of God is being stored up and it's going to come upon all of these things. And then he says, put them all aside, your own wrath, your own wrath. And he's talking about two different things. God's wrath. God doesn't have emotions. He has a fixed disposition uh, towards sins. Um, but we have uh, a human kind of wrath, which is actually sinful. And that's what we're to put aside. And it is an emotion. It waxes and wanes. An angry person is sometimes not angry or doesn't appear to be angry. Uh, but um, so it waxes and wanes. Uh, but it also is um, the word that Paul uses here is for a settled disposition. He's going to use a word in uh, one in a moment that's going to talk more like a like a flash, like an outburst of anger, but this is more of a settled disposition of an angry person, of a person who has anger, wrath in his heart. Uh, wrath is a strong displeasure. It's an indignation with a focus on retribution, with a focus on making things even. For God, it's, um, it's just, it's fitting. Uh, for God, it's his response to sin, uh, which requires it. Uh, for man, when wrath is in your heart, it's all out of proportion. It's all out of proportion, and it just becomes a, a God dishonoring, dishonoring um, anger. But um, at root, it's wrath against God. It's wrath against God, and it can be expressed, well, I'm angry at this person. I have a grudge against this person. I can't get over it. But if you peel it all the way back, it's wrath against God. And uh, those who suppress the wrath of God, that's how the Bible uh, speaks of unbelievers. They know the wrath of God. They, they can't be at peace with God because they don't know Christ. And so they suppress it, and then it says in Scripture they become children of wrath. It speaks of their destination. Uh, in fact, it says that we were children of wrath until uh, the Lord came and uh, saves us. It speaks of their destination, but it also speaks of their character. 
They're children of wrath. That same anger that they're suppressing, that's a righteous anger of God, it, it uh, takes birth in uh, the lives of unbelievers in us uh, before we're saved. And we still have to deal with uh, the vestiges of this uh, as well. It becomes uh, perverted into an anger. It's dangerous to have this in your heart, to not put it off. It was dangerous for Cain, one of uh, the first sinners, and he's a he's a paradigm. He's an example of how sin works. Genesis is a book of firsts, and uh, it gives real good and basic information about uh, all these important things, including um, sin. And so it says, I'll, I'll read it, uh, Genesis 4, uh, Abel brought first fruits of the firstling of his flock and their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. And uh, maybe maybe the Lord was just using this to teach him what to offer to God. I don't know all the details, but it just gives a very simple, Cain could have learned from this. Oh, well, I should offer what Abel offered and offer it in the same way that Abel offered it. But no, Cain became very angry, very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Why, why do you have anger in the middle of your heart? And uh, it shows, it shows for, for your countenance. People can tell when they come, when they uh, come and speak to you that you're an angry person. Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. It says, Cain, you're an angry person. And that's not the end of the story. It, that anger wants to take you somewhere else. It wants to take you somewhere worse. And so it's a danger to you. It's like an animal crouching, ready to pounce on you. And you have to master it. You have to overcome it. You have to put it off. Um, you have to uh, make the Lord your strength and then tackle it. And then when it comes back, tackle it again. Um, uh, so Cain told Abel, his brother, came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So anger in the heart leads to, it's inward, but it leads to outward behavior. And it's uh, matching with murder. Murder's not mentioned uh, here, but it's something that anger leads to. It's the it's the fitting application of, uh, of uh, anger. Uh, Jonah. Jonah is another one in Scripture who struggled with anger. He disobeyed the Lord. The Lord had a lot to teach him and uh, taught him through... Uh, having a, uh, a great fish swallow him, vomit him up on dry land. He actually did what the Lord told him to do against his will. And he's still angry, still angry, still had anger in his heart. And so the Lord uh, caused him to have compassion for this plant that uh, shaded him. It did something that he liked. And then he, the Lord sent a worm to eat uh, the plant. And uh, Jonah was angry, angry about the plant, angry, angry with the Lord. And, and so it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. And the Lord said, uh, to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I have every right to be angry. I have right to be angry even unto death. Jo- Jonah was not subtle. Jonah was not subtle, and that's why he's a, a lesson uh, for us uh, as well. But uh, anger takes you somewhere else. It takes you somewhere where you don't want uh, to go. Proverbs, and I'll read uh, just some of the Proverbs that have kind of stuck with me on um, anger. Proverbs 16, verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures the city. If you're going to capture a city, you better have a plan. 
You better um, lay plans, think about it, and then execute it with a great deal of effort. And it's the same with conquering anger. Um, and uh, and so it's, it gives uh, the difficulty, but also the importance of uh, conquering, putting aside this uh, anger. Proverbs 25, verse uh, 28, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. And so anger causes you to be defenseless to other sins, just like Cain was uh, when he uh, became a murderer by first becoming an angry person. Uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse uh, 24, 25, do not associate with a man given to anger or with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. So let me ask this question. Do you have anger? Do you have anger? Have anger in your heart towards another person, towards any other person? Are you nursing a grudge? Um, are you an angry person? Is your anger directed towards God? Paul says, put it off, put it off. That's one of the responsibilities of uh, a Christian. Put off uh, uh, anger. A writer was talking about the self-destructive nature of anger I'll just paraphrase uh, what he wrote. He says, uh, to savor grievances long past and prospects of bitter confrontations yet to come, to savor every last morsel of both of the pain that you've been given and of the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king, except what you're wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. And so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tasty feast for you to uh, ruminate over your anger towards someone. And uh, it, in, it ends up you're uh, destroying uh, yourself. Uh, so you're to put off anger. Put, put it aside. Now you also put them all aside, and it starts with this anger. Put it aside. Um, it doesn't mean you can't make a stand for the truth, it doesn't say because Christians put off anger, they're to be wishy-washy, they're to be uh, invertebrate like a jellyfish. Um, no, a Christian makes a stand, and sometimes and often is called on to make a hard uh, stand. If you're living in this world as a Christian, you're going to be making a, a stand, but you're to do it without anger, without anger. In fact, if you think anger is the only way to make a stand. You're probably not even making uh, the stand uh, as you should. It's to be done uh, without anger. Uh, scripture tells us how to make a stand for truth um, in, a, in a difficult and confusing world that's opposed to us. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And if you're not going to be carried out by every wind, you're going to have to make a stand. You're going to have to make a boundary. You're going to have to draw a line. But speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And so you're to make a, a stand, but you're to do it without anger, without rancor, without bearing a grudge against the people that you're even maybe the people that you're making a stand uh, against, but you're to do it in love. You're to do it in um, compassion. James chapter 1 and verse 19 says, "My This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You want to make a stand for the righteousness of God? 
the anger of man does not achieve, does not accomplish the righteousness of uh, God. So when it comes to anger, wrath, human wrath, put it off. Put it off. Uh, you have every reason as a Christian to put off anger. God has put his anger off for you. He's put it to death. And uh, for God, that meant pouring it out upon his beloved son on your behalf. Uh, but he's put his anger, uh, his righteous anger aside. How much more should we put our not righteous anger, our petty uh, anger? That's a, that's a totally different thing. And put that off uh, for uh, the sake of the Lord. Uh, we're to put off not only anger, but something that is very closely related. The next word, uh, so closely related, it's almost uh, synonymous. Um, where am I? Verse 8. Put them all aside. Anger, that's our first word. It's the normal word for wrath in the Bible. And the second word is, uh, well, my translation has wrath here. It's another word for um, anger. It's used together often in describing God's wrath, especially in the book of Revelation. And uh, you, at least in my translation, it's in those cases, it's usually translated as fury. So it talks about uh, in the time of the the, the revelation is uh, describing the fury of God's wrath and the fury of his wrath being uh, poured out. And so if wrath uh, in the way that God has wrath against sin is sort of a settled disposition against uh, sin, this word, this um, uh, anger is like when his wrath becomes manifest. And it's, it's poured out. It's been stored up and now it's being expressed. And this would be a word, uh, for it. For us, um, the anger, that's the first word would be more like, a something you've, you've got all the time, like a grudge. And, uh, the second word would be something more like a quick temper, like a, an emotional outburst of, uh, anger. And so, uh, if you're an angry person inside, this is gonna come out. It's gonna flare up. And this is the flare up. Of it, and that's the word uh, that is uh, used. If if you're an angry person inside, and that's what you have bottled up, it's going to come out, and it's going to come out with this. And so you're to put them both off. Um, and when it does come out, you can be sure that you have. When when the outburst comes out, you can be sure that you've got the anger all the time. It doesn't come out of uh, a vacuum. It doesn't come out of um, of a void. It's not an anomaly. It's not a bolt from the blue. It's a, it's a sign that you have anger in your heart and so you need to uh, put them all off. And probably the, 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 um, people that, uh, are, are the best indicator of this is probably not the people around church that you have a nice, uh, clothing on when you're around them for the time that you're around them. It's people you live with. It's people that you're the closest to. If you have outbursts of anger against them increasingly, why are you so irritable? Um, it's probably an indication that you need to put off anger in your heart. Um, and then put this off uh, uh, too. And so the, this uh, outburst can be helpful to show the anger in your heart for what it is, but you're to put it off. That's what a Christian does. It's time to work. It's time to put off uh, these things when that uh, happens. The third um, activity that you're to put off, anger, wrath. The third is malice. And uh, this is um, just ill will, hostility, hatred. Uh, a, a grudge, it's bad thoughts uh, about someone. And this is, each one of these kind of flows into the next, but this is the ugly reservoir that anger and wrath uh, flows into. And it's, it's, it's an attitude of the heart towards uh, another person. It's a word that's used in uh, Acts chapter eight, 
of um, Simon Magus, and I won't get into that uh, story, but he uh, had most of all just a, a desire to be first among uh, other people, a, a desire to be someone great. And uh, Paul recognizes that uh, about him and says uh, to him, therefore repent of this, and here's the word, it's the same word that's used here, this malice of yours, or my translation says this wickedness of yours, but it's, it's really malice towards other people. Repent of this uh, wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. And so this becomes a controlling thing like it was in Simon Magus's uh, life. Uh, it's malice that is uh, directed towards uh, others. Well, the malice flows into what's next? Slander. This is the language which accompanies malice. And uh, the word is literally blasphemy. That's the Greek word. It sounds like that. Um, which the, that word means abusive, denigrating, belittling, slanderous speech. In fact, literally blasphemy means hurtful utterance. Um, we normally think of that as it is against God. So if you just say blasphemy, you're thinking immediately of somebody giving belittling speech or an act towards God, but it can be directed against men um, as well. And scripture speaks of it uh, in that way. Blasphemy meaning uh, abusive utterance towards another person. So it, it depends on the context. Titus 3 verse 2 is a place where the word is used uh, against um, word as it's expressed towards other people. Uh, this blasphemy, it's, it's abusive speech. It's cutting speech. It would include um, put-down humor, which is a thin mask for uh, just uh, putting someone else uh, down. Proverbs talks about throwing firebrands at someone and then saying, oh, I was just joking. It says that's what a fool does. A fool cloaks it um, in that way. But uh, you can see the anger that we started the list with is coming out. Now it's coming out in abusive speech. Now it's not a secret in the heart anymore. It's coming out in um, angry speech. And then the, the fifth one, abusive speech from your mouth. And th this word um, is literally shameful speech. And it would, it would be or would include obscene speech or dirty uh, talk. And usually when someone has a four-letter vocabulary, they're using dirty words, um, in their speech, it's usually directed at abuse at another person. I mean, that's where it comes out. Um, and so that's, that's what is, uh, used, uh, here. And so if, uh, if a dirty word escapes your lips, you need to be thinking not, well, I just need another filter of propriety on this, but you need to be thinking, I'm an angry person. It's an indicator. I'm an angry uh, person, and I need to put all of these things off. The Lord says that what uh, fills the heart out of the treasury of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so uh, uh, Paul talks about removing anger from the heart. starts with the inside, and it in ends with uh, removing even slander and abusive speech from the lips, from out inward to um, outward. So put them all off. Put them all off. Be thinking uh, of Christ, of your life hidden in Christ, a totally different atmosphere, an atmosphere that turns you inside out, and then put these things off. And it's a list of things to uh, diligently be uh, put off. Let me, um, let me just conclude by making one final point, or really just setting this in a different light, this whole struggle in a different light. By all accounts, not just Christians, 
We're living in uncertain times, shifting times. Important things are shifting. The ground's in motion uh, beneath us. Scripture tells us for times like these or times when we're especially aware of these things, it really should be all the times. The time is short. The days are evil. The end is at hand. The coming of the Lord is near. Scripture warns us in the last days, difficult times will come or dangerous times will come and the evil men will proceed from bad to worse. Suffering or persecution, and perhaps we'll be facing that uh, in, in, in uh, increasingly in days to come. Suffering or persecution is an accelerator. It causes things to happen faster. It did for the Lord in his ministry. John the Baptist went to prison and the Lord, things started moving in the Lord's ministry. And then John the Baptist was killed and things started moving even faster. And they really picked up in uh, uh, the pace. What speeds up in persecution is really not anything extraordinary, but the normal function of the church, the normal growth in holiness, including uh, such as this uh, of putting off uh, these uh, things, normal uh, discipleship and discipleship means being ready and willing to pay a cost. It's said all the time about uh, discipleship and also to reach out. That's what it means to be a disciple, to follow Christ no matter what the cost and to make the disciples, to become fishers of men. So it's to be ready and willing to pay a cost and reach out or to pay a cost while reaching out or because you're reaching out um, in that way. The Lord said that, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So we're to be ready or to be willing to make every effort to grow, to make the most of every opportunity and especially in uh, difficult times. So be ready. God doesn't use impure or angry people. He uses people whose life is focused on others and not whose life is focused on himself. That's the process of what uh, God is doing in you in the unique transformation uh, that he's working uh, in you. You can't be transformed in that way. You won't be transformed in that way. Don't expect to be transformed in that way if you're holding on to anger if you're holding on to anger. So that's why Paul says to believers, and it's meant to be heated, to put off anger and all of the activities that go with it. Let me close uh, with this from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Father, we see in that verse, I just read a promise if we cleanse ourselves uh, from the things that would hold us back, such as anger, that we will be, that's the promise of vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. We pray that you would um, teach us to be aware of this transformation, that we would be uh, enthusiastic about it, excited about it, about where uh, this might lead uh, for us, and that we would be serious and sober-minded to put off the behaviors of the flesh, the old life, the selfish uh, behaviors, and especially the anger, angry uh, behaviors, uh, in order that this transformation in us might be accomplished. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.